0: And welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three Dungeon Masters who have been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. The world could show nothing to me, so what good would living
1: do me? God only knows what I'd be without you. God, in this sense, is the DM. And that's me, DMD. Here it is, singing all the crits, as we've said.
0: I feel like I was on the edge of catching that one. Which song was that?
1: God Only Knows, the Beach Boys, man. Pet Sounds. Uh, Probably one of the best records to ever have been uh, created. And also, fun fact, uh, is what pushed... Paul McCartney to push the Beatles to write Sgt. Peppers as the response to the audio amazingness of Pet
0: Sounds. So Mm, there you go. Great record. How about it? And yeah, so tonight we're going to be talking about metagaming, which is where our segue from God Only Knows comes in. Because I think we all agree on one thing about metagaming. At the end of the day, the DM only knows what the roles are and what the monsters do, right? God only knows Mm. what. Yeah, exactly. So this conversation actually comes out of recent games we've been playing where I made the perhaps, you know, depending on who you talk to, epic or inadvisable decision to pull a totally out of context version of Strahd into the Woodstock Wanderers. Which means since we have Dave DMing Curse of Strahd, and I should say this decision was made long before Dave started DMing Curse of Strahd. Yes. Uh, Strahd coming to the Woodstock Wanderers world happened uh, over like over a year ago a uh, year year and a half ago maybe this is so, like, pre-COVID. He should... yeah. Easily pre-covid yeah and it's oh a definitely weird... it's a weird version i will say some of the some of the gamers who had played with strahd before were not huge on the idea even though i was kind of using him as a much more he's a much more power hungry genius kind of you know power broker in my version than he is at least in curse of strahd well it's not wrong it.
1: That's not wrong in, in the Strahd character. You absolutely can play him like that through, uh, through Curse of Strahd as well.
0: Yeah. But can you, I'm also, so, you know, but we, get, we can get into that a little more later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, that, I mean, the reason the reason that we're that we're covering this is because now we're running into some problems where players have Strahd in two games. We have vampires in two games. And then, you know, players know things about the game that their characters aren't supposed to know. On top of that, you know, this happens across all of our games. Meta knowledge. P- players have access to meta knowledge. Some of them have access to what's currently in the book. Some of them have access to things that they played with for decades that they expect to operate a certain way. That meta knowledge comes into the game in various ways. So tonight we're going to talk about how do we handle that? You know, how do you deal with the fact that players know things you don't want their characters to know and keeping that separate? Also, players know things that maybe you're planning to change. And that might impact what they think of what you do and whether they think you're, you know, quote, screwing them or not by changing something up in a monster stat block. Uh, so we're going to get into those kinds of things today in this very special episode on metagaming and how to get your players to quit it.
1: There we go. Let's Actually, do this.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, we can't. The truth is you can't, right? You can't get your players to quit. It. There's, there's really two schools of thought on that. On one hand,
2: of course, certainly, you don't want to, like, my character in Dave's game, who was a barbarian, I wouldn't look at a beholder and be like, hey, brother, there's a beholder, look out, it's got eye rays, I'll turn you to stone, because he, that that's completely out of his wheelhouse. On the other hand, as another player, I've had guys come into games that I was uh, part of, and I'd be like, someone who really knew their stuff would be an asset, so that, and it's very difficult for you to separate This vast knowledge. I mean, you're a player, and you've read all the, or you've DM'd, and now you're a player. You've read all this stuff. You've looked at everything. So Mm. there. Some players are more than comfortable, regardless of the context of throwing out, the going, hey, that's a beholder. Look out. Watch out for the anti-magic ray. It's a bitch.
0: You've mentioned that specifically before, too, because you have DM'd, and you tend to DM a lot of very veteran gamers, where everyone knows everything you're bringing to the table. Well, I believe there is a degree of disbelief that must be
2: held in any game you're playing, in regardless of the system. And with that, if I'm playing a barbarian, I'm going to continue to have a system of disbelief within a system of disbelief that my barbarian doesn't know that's a beholder and doesn't know what all of its eye rays do. <laughs> and that's kind of where I stand with that. I mean, I, I'm in two games with Strahd. I'm in two games with vampires, and i am listening to these guys talk about how to kill vampires, and they're like, gosh, we haven't come across a vampire before. And I'm, I'm, my, my character is like looking at his watch, he's looking at his
0: phone, like, he's like, no, no, you have this conversation.
1: Hold my beer. Hold my beer.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm not doing too- it. To me there's really two axes this problem this where this where meta knowledge can become a problem. The first is when you have a player playing a character who's constantly pulling in what they know from the books and kind of short-circuiting the tension or the discovery process the characters go through maybe the other players should be going through of what is this thing and how does it work. You know, the classic oh that's an iron, that's a that's a flesh golem don't hit it with lightning lightning regenerates them you know that kind of thing where like they know oh trolls all trolls regenerate hit that thing with fire trolls hate fire Their tactics know, that kind begin of metagaming knowledge is yeah. one part of the problem the other part of the problem i think comes in where players have come into the game with a with an expectation for what that thing is you're playing with and sometimes that can create a that can actually Frustrate them if you play against that expectation. One example of this is how I brought Strahd into the Woodstock Wanderers. Because I brought Strahd in as a character that I was going to use in a totally different way. So the Strahd I'm bringing in is more like a, the second edition Demiplanes of Dread Strahd. He is a Strahd... Who has a realm? Who has in his mind that hey, if I can get, an, if I can just get a, f- a finger in another world, I can pull part of them into my demiplane plane and enhance my power and enhance my demiplane. plane. That may, that does not book anything. That that is my homebrew Strahd in Ravenloft, kind of how it works. That's my head cannon. But that is what we're playing with there. So that Strad is coming into these games. And specifically into that game where there is this, you know, giant Lovecraftian monster living inside the world that will one day wake up and break it free. And he's coming in wanting access to that power with his own plans and his own his own thing he can do, his own, his own approach to it. And he's basically trying to suck their world into Raven's love. Now, players who know Strahd from other things have a different set of expectations from based on metagame knowledge. And Tony, that came up in that game where people didn't react to Strahd in a positive way because you had played uh, Curse of Strahd or you had played Castle Ravenloft, the other players had played Castle Ravenloft, and there was a whole bunch of meta-knowledge weight that changed the way they were interpreting Strahd from how I was trying to portray him. So it's kind of both things create a problem, really, right? Well, they most
2: certainly can, and as both of you who are DMing Strahd right now, you may agree with me on this. If you're going to run a villain like that that villain and their motives need to be reasonably mysterious or yeah. it just doesn't work. Now you're not going to scare the players. We all dream about having a game where the players are actually, their characters are scared and there's this great tension. And sometimes you can't create tension. In the last game you ran, there was decent tension in that battle where I was out of mana. Everybody was hurt. It was, it was slowly quickly sliding into a shit show, but Mana. love it. Uh, <laughs> I was out of mana. Okay. How Maybe dare was like
0: a video game mana in my role-playing game? I looked at my blue orb, and it
2: was mostly empty. It was, it was but, empty,
1: yeah.
2: But you, you need that. That vampire, you can't go, okay, crap, that's Strahd. He's a CRX vampire. Huh. Who do you think he has in his castle? Or it really unravels. Like when I was in Dave's game, I instantly knew, spoilers, that the person who we met up with, when we met up with her was Titania. That was his lost love. That was his soulmate. I'm like, there she is. Ta-da-da. Like, I wanted to sign an autograph book for me when I met her. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't Absolutely. make any sense to you.
1: But but you had like,
2: I was utterly oblivious.
1: Right, you went into that. You, you've said it on many occasions, you went into Curse of Strahd playing a character that would not have any of this information. And you have stayed very true to form, uh, actually to the With point where I've actually started to attempt to change certain names or places within it to throw you even a little bit of a wrench where you go, wait, who the fuck is that? You know, there have been a couple points where I've tried to, just so you, you can still have the... Um, some of the joy of, of new discovery too.
2: I have this uncomfortable feeling in the pit of my stomach where we are in your game, actually, because you've hinted at, and you know, Thorn spoiler Aslan, the Lich is floating around somewhere. And I want to run into that guy about as much as I want to be broadsided by a Mack truck. <laughs> I don't give a shit what he's guarding. He can keep it. <laughs> well, you guys
1: are currently heading into the Amber temple and i feel I don't know how much they have played around with that in previous iterations of Ravenloft before. I'm not
2: familiar with that location.
1: Yeah, so this is going to—this, I think, will be kind of fun. I got a couple things uh, planned out. I'm really looking forward to the next session with that uh, because of that, because, like, I think this will be— No one quite knows what you're walking into here.
2: Literally not at all. But
1: yeah, so Thorin, back to to your earlier point. Yeah, this kind of came up, and we were discussing this after the Woodstock game that we've had, because now the Woodstock Wanderers are going to where Tony's old group had been. We're back into more of the Gothic Kingdoms region, you know, civilization, things of that nature— and we've started to hear whispers of these undead and this quote Strahd character and all of this. And, and Tony's character, Erasmus fills us in with some stuff, but I'm playing beam. So I'm, I'm obviously currently DMing curse of Strahd. So I'm vampired out the wazoo, right? <laughs> I have no issue separating that in that way. Like I have no issue with your iteration of Strahd, your, your version, um, I can understand how some some players uh, – you do run a risk with that sometimes. I think because you're taking such a – it's like taking Luke Skywalker and, God forbid, doing anything different with him than what everyone should think that they should do. You know? I'm like taking
0: Darth like Vader. Like Blue Metal. Or Darth Vader, right? for Darth Vader then. Yeah, Batman. but you know what I mean?
1: Taking a very known character mm-hmm. that people have a lot of ideas about and casting them in your realm, which is completely your purview – and I have no issue with that whatsoever. My thing came about because now Woodstock Wonders went to find this Lord Humbletail, who is supposedly, you know, he there's there's stuff going on in his town. He's possibly linked in with this Strahd character. So the, the Paladin Order sends us out, the Militant Order of Bahama. They send us out to, to check this out.
0: Militant Monastic Order of Bahama. Militant Monastic Order of Bahama,
1: M- M-M-O-B. Blast. And so we show up at this dude's house, his manor, um, after walking through his very crap town that uh, we, we come to find out he's it's because he's been, you know, now feeding upon the town itself. You know, makes sense. We go to his manor, and he's like, all right, you want? right, let's do this. And he calls his brides out. We have an epic fight, blah, blah. No big deal, right? Awesome. That was the end of the session before. We come into this session, and I'm trying to play Beam in a way because we uncover these letters that this S figure, you know, uh, which immediately, I know it's Strahd. That's how he likes to sign his name, right? And, it, and, all the, and I'm loving it because it's all of this, you know, this intel stuff. No issue. But I'm trying to play Beam in a way He's above average intelligence. He's incredibly yeah. wise, but he hasn't come across empires in Burning Lands, where he comes from the desert areas. It's too hot, much too sunny for <laughs> empires out that way, right? They're going to be a little different in the, the sand to sea. But we're getting to points where we're having to piece things together, and in my head, I'm like, how can I phrase this so that I'm not— Utilizing information, but I still want to be active in the investigation. Uh, and i'm I actually kind of stopped myself. I went, what the heck? how do I do this? Because I realized that I didn't want to utilize this outside knowledge in a game way, but it was an interesting um, experience because I hadn't really run into it. I'm usually able to compartmentalize these things, but with this, for some reason, I was just like, how do I?" How do I kind of do this? And it turned into an epic game, and it was awesome. And we had a, a like Tony was saying, a really, uh, it felt like the last stand, like the last guns of the Navarro, which was awesome. And of yeah uh we just we murdered like
0: half of the race i think i let i let you that. take out your red cap frustrations yeah well i, I we finally brought that a while back
1: to import some more into the material plane but yeah so that's kind of what brought it up and I, it was an interesting experience because i i felt like well how do i phrase this because i'm not a stupid character you know like not Hawk is not a stupid character, but he's a barbarian. He's a wrestler, right? So he's like, whatever, brother, let's do this. So he can play that. But Beam is kind of like somewhat of a council. He's somewhat of a, a moral compass, I hope. Uh, you know, things like that. And I'm like, he's the party do shepherd I play book. that? In a way, right? Yeah, a little bit. Kind
0: of, so, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah,
2: not kind of. A trusted yeah. <laughs> grandfather. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's a little young. He's like a younger shepherd book. But, you know, who knows how old these dragonborn are? He's walked Mm. the world for quite some time. I don't know how long he's been walking the verse. No, he's still pretty young. He's the, I mean, one of the things with, with the Stroud in this game is that from a story point of view, I have divorced him almost entirely from that background. Now it's not that he doesn't have Tatiana back there. I would envision this Strahd as someone who has either defeated that or moved beyond it and has and is more focused on how can I perhaps escape Raven's Loft or expand my power until it's not such a trap or I can pop the prison some other way. So mm. that is kind of the Strad in my game. He is and I envision him even more. Actually I kind of envision him like the actual portrait more of Vlad the Impaler than Strahd, uh, with the turban and kind of the the very ottoman kind of look to him, and with a very I, I don't know. Do you call him political goals? But it's really about, you know, like, 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 like well, plain spanning power. I mean, well, he's got I, planner goals.
1: I don't, di- like I said before, I don't disagree with you. I think that that, that Strahd Von Zarovich completely fits into, that's what's so great about the character, right? Is they kind of created a mythos with Strahd that allows all the vampire aspects to kind of, if you want to play him like Nosferatu, you like Count Orlok, you, you can, yeah. If you want to play him like Gary Oldman, you can. You want to play him like Bella, you can, right. You want to play him like uh, Gary Oldman prior to him turning when he's like, you know, the 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 dragon. Yeah, you can play him like that too. So yeah, I think that's what's what's one of the great things with the character. And I like what you're doing with it because I kind of I will say outside of game two, I kind of put together, I was like, oh, I bet you he's trying to fucking pull lands into Barobia. Because in a way, he feels like he'll be safe because he's in this little pocket dimension, but then he'll just have much more chattel to play with. And I was like, that's kind of a cool, that's a cool way to play it, you know? And
0: well, what was in one of those letters specifically, He at least he was telling uh, Lord Hummeldale that he felt if he could bring the world into Raven's Loft, nothing reaches its potential in Raven's Loft, and neither would this would God he didn't mm. the name. That's his pitch. His pitch yeah. is, hey, you know this thing's down there and I mean I'm real I guess it's a little bit of a re- revelation but it's kind of it's in the letters it's pretty plainly in the yeah, letters.
1: And I, yeah and that's part of what I was kind of putting together because you kind of literally say it I was yeah. I was actually surprised so it's a great way I think it harkens back to some of the call of Cthulhu stuff with the handouts but your your Hummeldorf letters they read, like, these cryptic, I'm using all of this this couched language to beat around the bush, and when these things start to come to fruition, you're like, oh, fuck, no, he's being literal, like, the mushrooms planted are fucking red caps. they're like, all of this kind of stuff, and I'm like... Oh, this isn't metaphor. Oh, okay. We need to look at this stuff differently. You
0: know? I mean, yeah. It, it, in the letters laid out that there had been, and a lot of what had happened, happened in a meeting. The letters mention a meeting that Hummeldale had attended and made a decision at. And after that, he became a vampire. Right. So it's kind of like, there's a thing, basically, you know, the letters are telling the story. I was telling a very brief, very cryptic story of how Strahd, got hummeldale to agree to become a vampire so to to become part of his basically cabal to try to pull this world into raven's loft because hummeldale a vampire in raven's loft but at least he's not dead we got, we yeah. got an awful explosion yeah yeah i think that's all in the letters you know that's what i tried to kind of make make like kind of make clear in the letters well i think that i really like well dave's
2: analogy with darth vader is fantastic maybe not in the respect that nobody wants you to deviate anywhere from Strahd because I feel like you could actually deviate a little with that character and still be true to it without going too far off the farm. But what it is in the sense of disbelief is that if you were, you brought, you know, we're playing a Star Wars game and you yeah. guys are young mercenaries and Darth Vader sits you down and he's like, hey guys, I want you to go do something. Well, you know everything about Darth Vader. Everything. You've, he's been in movies, you've seen the prequels, he's, a, he's, a, he's in... He's invested in our culture. Tone. It's almost inescapable.
1: Real quick. I just want to interrupt just real quick. That was literally the the least intimidating Darth Vader I've ever heard in my life. Jesus. I'm just saying. Well, in
2: mind. He's, I mean, he's could very... you
1: give me something here, you know?
2: Oh, well, no. I'm, I'm looking at...
1: <laughs> well, I find yeah. your lack of
2: faith
0: disturbing. Oh, I see? I mean, that, it's, a, okay.
2: it's that right there. There it was. Right, no, I, I, I didn't want to force it, it didn't, <laughs> when it came out i'd be very nasally darth vader i'd be like more like lord helmets from <laughs> <That's> exactly it. <laughs> so how many assholes are there continue um, though continue
1: i'm sorry it, I, mean, I just had to get the dig in there
2: we go that's fine that was actually that, that was good uh, but for me with the metagaming also i'm looking around the party i'm looking at what we found we found the sun sword and I know, like I don't know no, but I have a really fantastic idea of what one of the items are we need. And I do not want to confront Strahd without, without the it. without the icon of the Ravenkind. It's around
0: here fucking somewhere. Where is it? We've been looking everywhere. I can't and imagine it's not this module. All
1: kinds of stuff.
0: Now that but then that has come up because and there's somewhere else, there's somewhere else your your metagaming came up too. The not accepting the invitation to dinner. You should- oh, no, fuck that guy. Uh-uh. Not no, really. I don't, I don't feel that, that that's
1: – I would not consider that a metagame thing in that way, even though it could be because you realize that Strata is the big villain, right? So you're not ready for him level-wise or whatever. But uh, that would kind of – I mean, this guy, like, runs rampant over this entire valley. Like, you're not just going to be like, yep, let's just go take his ass out. You know what I mean? So I think that that's not necessarily um, – oh.
2: Whoa. Well, actually, I'm thinking about that. Maybe he does have a, a little... I, I kind of do see something in there because, yeah... But, but yeah, I don't...
1: Though, Tone, you, I interrupted you before you finished out your Darth Vader uh, example,
2: well, and I would love to hear Before it. my helmet got stuck and I, I, I was hyperventilating in there. <laughs> I'm surrounded by assholes! <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no. If I'm going to finish that thought that Thorne kind of threw out there. Uh, when he pulled the carriage, like, hey, come, come to dinner with me. I mean... My first reaction was, like, you are, go fuck yourself. Like, you are out of your mind. <laughs> there is no <laughs> way I am getting in this carriage and me and Dracula, like, I saw Bram Strucker's Dracula. He's like this, but this is no laughing matter. And he has that ridiculous hair. Nobody wants to deal with that. I know it's a slightly different Dracula. But, um, no. And in the same breath, though, I've commented this before, the way Dave is, it portrayed Strahd, he is just the worst. Nobody has anything to say about him that's <laughs> positive unless they're, like, literally worshipping the devil in the same breath. They refer is, him as the devil. That is actively true, because literally yeah, like, the only person
1: that was behind him was Lady Vopter, and she was straight up, had, like, a pentagram on her floor with candles and shit.
0: <laughs> and she tried to kill us. Yeah, she absolutely tried to kill us. wanna blocked in a room with a hunger of a dark. Yes. But then yes. again, on the flip side, we've met Strahd, we know he's
2: a vampire, and he's kicked her ass already. So my characters probably look at back on that, like, well,
0: I enjoyed that ass beating. Hmm. Are we ready to relive this just, just yet? So to me, though, Strahd wanted us. Now, Phineas was definitely interested in talking to Strahd. He did think and he has had some messages from Strahd. And he was thinking, well, yeah, maybe Stroud wants to talk. That's what we do. We're civilized monsters. And, and 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 Hawk and a couple other. I mean, we put it up to a vote. We decided not to. Okay, fine. And I and so afterwards, I'm like, all right, we've missed this opportunity. I can say, okay, so what does happen if you go to that dinner? I'm curious because I'd seen people talk about it online, being like, oh, the dinner's really important. Like kind of like you know they accepted or didn't accept. They got forced into the dinner. Like other DMs run that. Like okay, if you don't get in that carriage. You know, if you don't accept that invite, like Strahd, the carriage finds you wherever you are. And it keeps mm. like, like other DMs. Like, I wouldn't you're play it, like, dinner. Like, I wouldn't play it like that. Pulls but what I was surprised by, and Dave, excuse me for finding the spoilers, apparently the dinner, according to the book, apparently the dinner's a trap. Like, it is just flat out, like, you never meet Strahd. He just throws you in a trap.
1: Well, here's the th- that's what's That's what's kind of interesting. So, uh, like, we'll get into this probably even deeper when we do yeah. a little bit of a, a year in review on our campaign when we end it, which is probably going to be not too far in the future. I mean, you guys are getting pretty – you guys are knocking stuff out. I mean, there's only so much to happen. In we Barobia. still have, like,
0: five but more side quests, don't we?
1: No, not that many. But regardless, anyway, <clears throat> it kind of depends on what you want to do. But they have – there's definitely certain things that can occur, but they leave a lot of it open to how do you want to run it? Here's some ideas. Here's some thoughts. And then I've seen other people who run the dinner completely different, and I've kind of taken a lot of these things and cobbled them together in a way um, that will make sense. Now, I will say, I mean, you have entered this guy's lands. Um, you get the feeling obviously that he's drawn you in here because that's what he does because you've heard plenty yeah. about new advent uh, you know, all these past adventures and all these former revolts and nobody was able you know and like no one's ever heard from again uh, I think you've even found some of their corpses at times <laughs> but then you start kicking ants right you start taking out certain things and you know the tide is starting to change and now Phineas has begun trying to push the people towards a a a large-scale kind of rebellion thing. But regardless, they leave it very much open. So sometimes the dinner could just be a dinner to talk because Strahd has multiple goals and multiple things that want to happen. Now, I will say you guys did get Arena out of Barovia for what it looked like. He wasn't too happy about that as he threw a thunderbolt down from the clouds. But, you know... Yeah, maybe he can get over it. Who knows? You know, but it's interesting because it depends when the dinner happens. Is going to change how that person
2: approaches you, right? Because that's kind of like. Anything. Very true. Very right. Late in the story, when you but, said that, when he broke into his lands, I immediately thought of James Earl Jones and the original Conan, where he captured Conan. He's like, You've broken do. into my temple. You've killed my son's
0: pets. <laughs> he was so pissed off. He raised of that snake from an egg.
1: Yeah, but there's still, uh, there's still some. Uh, so there's, uh, if you guys ever do go to the dinner, uh, there's, there's some stuff that may or may not happen. We'll see. You know.
0: I, I think we're going to the dinner with artifacts drawn. Just all, everything in front of you. <laughs> but I mean, so but to bring it back to to kind of the topic here, that was I mean Tony, when you when you were really adamant against going into that, was that just in character? Because I really I mean, or was that kind of a little bit of metagame knowledge?
2: Well, like have you been? Again, have you at done that, that, point, that? We we met Stride when we were like level two. He yeah. bit Bonnie. I mean, he's a vampire, and ever like this whole like oh if you look at Ravenloft, okay, you're in this gothic this this mysterious eerie kingdom everybody's life sucks and it's strad's fault essentially in one way or the other whether because he's taken over the vineyard he's kidnapped this person's daughter he's exiled these other people it it he is like really the center part that wheel revolves around so i mean and i said this to you in character kind of i'm like you know what if I was Strahd and I was being lazy, you know what I do? I hate these guys. Let me invite them to dinner, see if these idiots show up, and then wipe them out. The because um, that's I will say, it. I I will say. So yes, this is a great
1: example because, as I said before, with the Hawk character, it, you're taking the the perfect example. You're taking a DM who who is DM for, mm. uh, you know, he's been DMing longer now than he hasn't been DMing, right? So. So you're taking a wildly experienced DM who has played every single iteration of Braver since I-6, okay, has read the novel i Strahd. He is coming in with more knowledge than Chris Perkins might have writing the goddamn thing, right? <laughs> but he chose a barbarian, and there are certain things in the backstory that I'm not going to reveal, but there are certain things in the backstory for me that play to Hawk making that decision. So... That is something where I think the realization of Meta is there, but he can still ground it in the character. And that's kind of what I was saying with Beam. I was trying to find that point where I could ground this in and play the character straight without, you know, completely, you know, throwing something in the the, uh, wrench in the works. In
2: Woodstock, I feel like there's a couple of characters I really need, like my peers, that I really need to get what's going on with them with their stories like beams one of them and uh ogins one of them and it's just like I, I don't have that moment where it's like hey what is going on with you like beam <laughs> acts like a spaceship dropped him off and he's like we'll be back in two months and they left you there and she's like <laughs> a devil worshiper she's like anath was like the best and i'm like
0: what? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> a pretty uh, that's a pretty new development. Uh, so <laughs> she's not a devil worshipper. Maybe it's may, maybe a pactor. <laughs> I mean, I'm
2: just floating that out there. Like, you know, her other party members have some pretty strong feelings about that. Uh, I, I'm new to it. I'm the new guy on there. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of party tension over that.
0: Well, Don't know about- exactly what happened. So, I mean, at this point, I have introduced at least three ways to kind of proceed with Caranapal in the Woodstock Wanderers.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: so we'll see. We'll see what else comes up. You know, we'll see what you guys come up with. But I have I've, I've, I've put some branches in. So you're no longer just speeding towards your, your conflict with the Malbion. Uh, You are now, you now have several, you now have three different things going on.
1: And that is, that I like,
0: that I like. But you know, we're talking a lot about kind of campaign meta knowledge. But when I see DMs talk about this and I see people complain about this on Facebook, it tends to be less about campaign level and more about, hey, my players know what all the monsters do and they optimize themselves to be, to do things that their player characters shouldn't know how to do. They guess that, you know, they jump ahead and they're like, oh, that monster's weakness is this, that monster's immune to that. They uh, they super optimize all of their spells and stuff using knowledge their player characters should not have. What about that kind of metagaming? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, have you run into problems with that? Because I mean, I I definitely have in our game a little bit, and I have a way of handling it. What do you guys do? Well, just like
2: with magical items, whatever you run across may not be right out of a book. And I I think the best way to handle this, and I could be way off track here, is but just establish this early on and be like, hey my monsters i'm playing with their stats this is mm. i'll use some book stuff and some stuff i'm not going to and i've juiced monsters i've juiced you like why <laughs> would i juice the monsters too in the right situations like i move oh, items sir. around in the module i mean like i'm so far off the script with
0: storm kings with that like I, you need the humble telescope to find out where i'm at <laughs> <laughs> do you ever find the players get angry that you did that that they feel like you're cheating somehow because you're not running the book monsters they expect. Well okay, what is that's an interesting question. So what
2: does DM cheating look like? Um that that that's a uh that's a rabbit <laughs> hole all by itself. Because yeah, no, you, you are not contractually obligated, at least that I'm aware of, to produce only like okay, here's an example when that would be cheating. If you're running, you're officiating an actual Dungeons and Dragons 5E tournament that's sanctioned, like an event, then you know what? Everything is their material, their module. Everyone's using the the same system to create their characters. There's no deviation from that, just for terms of fairness, for this one or two day event. That makes sense. For your campaign though, that's that's I don't limit my imagination's my answer there.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you have you had players get upset over it, or is that always something that's been cool in your groups? Um, not upset,
2: but like you know, I, I run into like I remember there was a point in my game where I threw a wyvern at the party, and then you're like, "Hey, that's a CR six. That seems a little saucy for right now." <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> and, and by you, you do mean me, because I believe I, I believe I was, I, I was reacting. That, like, was that it, yes. seems a little high. What the. F- <laughs> <laughs> we Power curve. With the ah. Well I I say
1: Thor, that was actually I don't think you did it in a in a bad way. I just remember the the first session of the Slavers Bay campaign when you guys were still in the pits and the last person so you guys are second level. I started you all at second level because yeah. that's just I couldn't do first level. It just like there's no way to make that enjoyable. Um so I made you guys really? second level. Yeah. And Le- I like and first level. Dave doesn't. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Really? Well, not, and not I'm not
2: surprised by that. What?
1: Not if you're not if you're like if you're slaves that have been brought in and have been fighting now for a while in the gladiatorial pits and you've become part of this keep and you are being trained, you're not going to be level one at that point. That was the way in which I um I came, and also I kind of started with the idea that everybody would start as a multi-class with fighter, um, but then it kind of ran into a foul of some things because. Some people were already a martial class. It didn't make a lot of sense. So I said, all right, no problem. If you want it, you, c- you can take it. If not, whatever. I was doing a lot of experimenting with that, uh, which is always good when you have a brand new group that you haven't really met. You want to experiment a lot. But the fir- <laughs> the last uh, enemy that came out was the and he was a hill giant. And when I describe him coming out you know, and all of this, and Thorne goes, wait, he's, he's a fucking hill giant? <laughs> and like, it was that whole thing,
0: like... Are you fucking kidding me? That thing is like, we're going to die. I I admit, and I, I apologize. I am guilty. I try not to get involved in metagaming from the point of view of, you know, oh, this thing's immune to this, immune to that. We know these things. Having said that, like, as a DM, like, I know, like, where kind of the monsters are. And there are times where it's like... Oh, is this something we're supposed to run from? Like, is this is this is this a boundary encounter? Is this an encounter that's supposed to tell us don't go into those mountains? There's a fucking dragon there, or is this actually something he expects us to fight? Uh, so sometimes in my mind, I'm going through that arithmetic of, oh, hold on, we're 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 this level. That's a that's a fuck mothering giant over there. Yeah, and no, they don't usually no fight our level i believe his rock can kill any one of us with one good hit
1: and he uh, did he uh dropped he did. Uh, shannon's character in one shot and i went oh, i should probably not do too many rocks <laughs> no one right up there with a
0: the high heat
1: <laughs> but then you guys just you know you ground and pound but uh but yeah that was a that was one one example of that i haven't myself um
0: Yeah, have you gotten any blowback from me? I
1: I haven't had players get meta, at least that I was aware of. I will say, I think this is similar to some of what we talked about with the Brother Maynard fight and some of those things when we were having some of that miscommunication. And I think what it really comes down to is not that you can't adjust your monsters, especially like the ones, like the real, the named NPCs, the big evil people. Like, they're supposed to be special. But I think you're always wanting to try to find that balance between making them special, but bounding them within some of the rules that the players are bounded in. Because the players are bounded into what the game allows. We can't just say, well, no, I want this. I just want that sword to be a plus one. Um, so if it's feeling like that, if it's feeling like it's um if it's unfair just for unfairness' sake, I think that can run a foul. But That can, like Tony said, I think that can be easily remedied by, if you start that way, then your players kind of expect that. That or if they don't know any better. If they're newer players, they don't know what the hell an owlbear does. So they're going to be like, I want to go pet it. you know. (laughs) Or that one listener that wanted to yell, that wanted to make friends with the ancient white dragon (laughs) or whatever the fuck it was.
2: (laughs) But how are you (laughs) to have tension in the game if... You have everything on the table like that. I think that's very difficult to establish.
1: Yeah, no, and that's that's where I think, that's what I'm saying is there's there's some of that back and forth there where I have no issue. I have absolutely altered stats on uh, on creatures, but it hasn't been to the point where it becomes, wait, what? Like, what am I supposed to do now? I remember I was playing in one game and the DM had us fighting the last, uh you know, the big, bad evil thing and no matter what we did and partly i think it's because they were a newer dm so they didn't realize that you know to not have it completely on this you know this one fail state but no matter what we did any kind of attack or thinking around the problem wasn't what because they wanted this one thing to happen and that can get very frustrating because then you feel like i'm not okay tell me what you want me to do and i'll do it You know, and you get into that point, and I think that's where you can start to to have some players uh, lose investment in the game.
0: You know, the Brother Maynard fight is, in some ways, a good example of player expectations, part metagame but also player expectations, sometimes making it hard to to explain to them kind of what you're trying to get them to see. And the Brother Maynard fight's a good example of this. The Strahd example I was talking about before is a good example of this. Mm. In both cases, I was introducing a character with a different backstory and mystery the players had not yet discovered. And in fact, I was trying to reveal it during the fight. And instead of the player saying, oh... He's being, you know, he can call up these tentacles. You can call up God and Othwa's powers just by asking for them and putting together effectively that this guy has become part warlock to this great, to this goo under, under the planet. Thank you. <laughs> um, great oval. But instead, so the, the metagaming in that situation was preventing the players from engaging with what I was trying to show them. And instead, engaging with, we think this should work this way. And the DM just isn't letting it work that way because he doesn't want us to win when the problem was that wasn't working that way because that character was not what you expected it to be. He was right. no longer a paladin. He had gone far down this path to kind of becoming, well, part is Warlocky, but it's also sacrificing many, many people to this thing, gave him a whole other set of powers. That's part of what the big badges are doing in this game. So it's, it's like that stuff to me is within the DM's prerogative. That's part yeah. of the story, you know? No, absolutely. And, and in that case, though, metagaming, because the players be, the players aren't aware of it, and you're trying to get them to understand it by revealing it through the course of play. But because the players are skipping to, well, I expect this to work this way, and it's not, so the DM's well, effectively cheating. They're not un, they're not they're not doing the deduction to see what you're trying to get at, and it's hard. And in that case, it was very hard. I mean, really, uh, uh, it never really clicked why that was going on and a lot of the players took away oh he just decided this should end this way which was not true at all as i've told you that fight i one of the ways i thought that fight would go was you guys maybe just go talk to him and surrender and he takes you to the Malbion and we get to that final showdown like it like the Ugh. number of things on the table at that point were like infinite and the players are telling but, me i had one ending i wanted i'm like what the hell are you but talking as about?
1: We, as we talked about though as we talked about too in that one almost two episodes we kind of went through episodes. it there was a lot leading up to that, that then leads to those types of, of jumps to conclusions, as it were. So.
0: But it was sort of the same thing with the Stron situation, where the players really read this Stron as here's he's what we've played with before. That's what we're expecting. So that's what we're interacting with, and not kind of not listening to who this thing really is and like what's he what yeah. he's doing in this game, which <laughs> is different. Yeah. In some ways, that came up during the during the deck of many things thing as uh, encounter as well, because there one of the players had a wish which in some previous editions, frankly, by some house rules, a wish card from the deck of many things, the way this group had played it with house rules in previous editions, was that you could wish away the effects of a bad card. You could wish away a bad draw. I would like to technically point out, it doesn't say that you can't. There I think it does. No it, it, says, it says it can't undo the, the effects of the deck. Eight, in yes, 5 e. Not, not in 5A. I believe in 2nd edition. And
2: it the 4E e version of a wish spell basically gave you $100 worth of Kohl's cash. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but but that's another situation where so we had a situation where one the, the players had drawn earlier, one of the players had popped the three wishes spell from the deck. The last player to go said, I'm drawing six cards. He draws six cards. His third card is the Don John or or the Void. He basically gets imprisoned by his greatest enemy. Phantom. And he's he doesn't understand why they can't just wish him back. And I'm like, Well, that's not the way the five E will. No, those
1: um that <laughs> is that's, also That's a meta-gaming. perfect example of when metagaming can go wrong because your no one would, would find this weird deck of cards and then just immediately, oh, this is some crazy magical thing. Let me just start pulling through it. like yeah. You wouldn't approach the world like that. You know, and if you did, then you probably wouldn't have gotten to that point in the adventure because you probably would have died from your impulse control. You know, so I think that that type of stuff where you know what you're going and you're trying to optimize your character. Yeah, that can definitely that definitely falls into um, where metagaming goes wrong.
2: (laughs) Well, deck of many things is one of the most iconic items in Dungeons & Dragons. Even new players have been around other players who have heard stories of this infamous deck and all the wondrous things it can do and how it could completely wreck your character. I'm going to tell you right now, up to other DMs, if you introduce another deck, I am not touching it with a 60-foot pole.
1: That's my point, though, is that, like,
2: it's... You need
1: to... Like, you were just saying, it's an iconic piece of DD lore everyone knows about the deck of many teams everyone wants to play with it. everybody wants to play with vecna everybody wants to play with Strahd, right but your charactert-shirt the that. players <laughs> might know all of this stuff and that's where you get that fun but part of the fun has to be from the character discovering yeah. this magical stuff these fantastical things or else it's just you know the christmas morning like why do we wrap presents I could just yeah. put all the presents on no, the no, tree, no, I, or I, I, I could just,
0: I'll send you my Amazon wish list. It just turns you know? into give me all the good stuff. Give yeah. me all the good stuff, and let me, let me beat up all the bad guys and look badass. And it's come up in a, in a few ways in my games. There was actually, there was, a, there was an episode of Woodstock Wanderers very early on, where the player who's been playing for many decades was playing a wizard, and he had light, and he wanted, and he said, okay, I cast the light spell on the enemy's eyes, I expecting it to blind him, as it used to do in earlier editions. Sure, mm. but that is yeah. not a function of the 5e light spell. But those kind of situations always get tricky to DM, you know, because it's like, well, you know, you, you knew how this worked in an earlier edition. It doesn't work that way in 5e, and we're kind of playing this game to under to, to learn 5 e It that's a good that's a good example, Thor, because that happened
1: twice actually. Yeah. Uh because we were also fighting uh twig blights. And the way in which you described the twig blights were these dry twig like things that were like walking around like humanoids and he went oh i'd like to cast press the digitation to set him on fire and you now we're at an impasse because one the players thinking outside the box they're thinking outside the. Ca- they're thinking about how can i use this spell in ways that like you said back in the day back in second mm-hmm. edition and first and stuff, that was kind of part of the thing figuring out how to make this stuff do things where 5e is very much built to allow certain things and if you start to as we've discussed on many occasions if you start to just play willy-nilly with it uh that can marshmallow out really quickly on you um and you were at that impetus where you went okay this is a new game we're kind of learning 5e I'd probably want to let them do th- super cool stuff like that and think outside the box but at the same point i don't want to set a precedent that now digitation can Literally just start fires in places because then that's going to start to that can start turn into a Tarrasque breeding situation, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And only you can prevent forest fires. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's like, and there is another cantrip that there's another spell that does that. Like, it's not you're not tacking firebolt on depressed digitation,
1: yeah. Well, you know, good example, yeah.
0: yeah. For all yeah. of the
2: context, though, in 1e2e, where the light spell blinded a target, your wizard had a much more finite amount of magic. He, yes. His can, his Their cantraps were garbage. Like, the, those are your little spells. Like, I could, like, cast a sneeze cantrip, and maybe the orc would sneeze before he dropped his <laughs> battle axe on your head. Not like these cool ones now that throw fire bolts and eldritch blasts. Totally different ball Everyone's
0: blocks. the wizards from Diablo now. Essentially. Ooh. They're like,
2: yeah. and I kind of think that's what they, it was inspired by. It. They're like, hey. You can just spam this effect. Um, How do we do that? Well, this is how we do it: zero level spells.
0: Yeah, and it is, you know, it's it's, but it's tricky. You know that that side of metagaming of of metagaming knowledge is tricky. The monster side is tricky, actually. So we talked about the this curse, this I'm sorry, this Woodstock Wanderers game where I had a vampire. Now we've now seen vampires in different games, I think three times, and we're starting to see that they're fairly easy to beat. Uh and vampires don't seem to be all that tough. This- it, there's a lot there was a lot
1: of if to that. There's a lot of things that we've seen that really screw the pooch on that. Like I sent through the text thread. Like now imagine a sword made of absolute fucking
0: sunlight, right? And then yeah, talk to me is, about it, vampires. In some ways, I'm giving I was giving Dave another bit of another bit of data for his Strahd yeah. fight coming up. <laughs> he had his fight Charlie Manx, who was a vampire. I have now put him on the other side fighting my vampire. Both of those vampires went down pretty easy, if I'm being honest. Okay. In my vampire, I had thrown everything. So I did everything I wanted to do to try to make that hard on the party. They were surra- I had run them out of spells. I, they had not had a chance to short rest. They were surrounded by redcaps. They were in significant danger. And I even cut one of them off and pulled him away with the charm to the vampire's lair, where the vampire was trying to, 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 to basically get him on his side. Like, look, no, we got to do this. I did this to save our world. Strahd's the only way. And he still got killed in like three rounds. Like I had it all. I had drained, I had, I had drawn Trump. It was, I was like, this is as good as I can get it. And it still was an easy fight. And I cheated. Sorry, go ahead, Tony. I'll tell you how I cheat it later. Well, ch- cheating is subjective
2: when you're the DM. And because usually I've cheated in the favor of the players, but
0: let's, uh, well, well, I did, let's let that happen. On, on this guy, um, I changed the way the vampire worked a little bit. I dislike that his immunities go away, especially when he's in misform to any magic damage. So what yeah, I did mean, in this form, he yeah. is fully immune. He has to get back to his coffin to rest up, and then the, the players find him and stake him in his coffin. And then that will totally slay him. Now the coffin was in the same room, so that was not a huge leap. They just had to remember to use the vampire slaying kit they'd found. Mm-hmm. But I did cheat in that way, and it still was a pretty easy fight. Sorry, I got done. Well. Okay, but he,
2: here's what I want to throw out with that. That was an easy fight. Um, the, I feel like one of the things I've learned from all of the, all of our intense game we've done during COVID times is my philosophy on monster power has shifted greatly. Yeah. And let me explain that. When we're talking about fighting Strahd, I mean, out of game, like Hawk's thinking about, I'll get in Strahd's face, I'll do this, I'll do that. As a player, I'm thinking Strahd's personal power, and I've really have done everything imaginable. Just away from his write-up, like I like I'm scrolling through the monster book, I'm like ah, and I just keep going. <laughs> see him in there. His don't Star- worry, he's completely different spell list,
1: completely different. I've gone through the player's handbook. completely.
2: I actually I have not <laughs> read, and he, he's in two games. I do not know what five E Stroud stats are, but it's irrelevant because his personal power. I'm assuming he's tough. What is concerning, the his real power is in his allies, his minions. That's where, and, then, and look at your which you did in the Woodstock Wanderers. Yeah. So he by himself wasn't that tough. But look at all these guys we had to, that chewed us up before we got to him. Mm-hmm. Then his powers in a bit of subtlety where you saw in the Charlie Manx fight where he charmed Hawk. Well, OK, one of the party martial characters who is now charmed is not attacking him anymore. And depending upon how you're playing charm, I mean, we agreed that like he's not it's not the original original charm, like one E two E. I would have walked right up to Shannon's Thief and impaled her. I'd have been like, yep, I'm charmed. <laughs> you own me, dude. Blech. And that would <laughs> end to her character and she'd been freaking toast. Um, but he can influence and at the same time where if you took a powerful character off the board and he's throwing all these guys in I'm envisioning when we fight Strahd he's got like a lifetime supply membership card for uh CR 4 through 6 monsters and well, the, the, that's, see, that's what we're dealing with that's the big thing so if,
1: if I just drop Strahd into a battlefield with you guys you and he wasn't able to just fly away or something. He went toe-to-toe with you. He'd hurt you. You guys would end him. And pretty quickly. Probably but two or
0: three rounds. Yeah.
1: Easily. Easily. And that's with him being see the difference with Vampire Lords and Strahd is Strahd is also a incredibly uh prodigious spellcaster. Like yeah. you guys have seen him throwing fireballs around and all this kind of stuff. So he has that whole other, he, you yeah. know, he's Charlie Manx on Roy's, right, or or Hommeldale on Woods.
0: But well, Hommeldale didn't have spellcasting. He was, yeah, he was, of he course he did. No,
1: because yeah. most most vampires don't. So, but my point is, is that you did it right. You're not gonna Strahd is never gonna go toe to toe with you. He's not an idiot, right? He's gonna come on, come into my castle where I know where everything is and all my people are, and you have to get there first, right? Same with Hommeldale. We went through that mansion, and thank God we cleared it out because how much, Tony? How much do you want to fucking bet most of that shit would have been finding us on on the exit, right? As yeah, we're trying to fight, they'd all just be on our six. But like, I was not kidding. That fight at the end felt like the the last stand of the
0: Alamo. No well, doubt. That's good, and you know that's it's I'm glad that and, and other other players have said they really enjoyed that encounter that whole adventure too, so yeah. but what
2: I mean if you think about this mechanically, what boss are you gonna throw up against five six, seven other players and he's gonna push them back he yeah. would they would have to be incredibly powerful when you encounter Sarkooff <laughs> then that's gonna be different, but that's a really rare situation if you're fighting the ancient red dragon sure the creature is gargantuan it's got hundreds of hit points but that's different all these other guys like if we're running a like you were doing your, your one uh martial arts campaign what ninja master are you gonna throw out there that could push back half a dozen other players <laughs> that character doesn't seven
1: players cool. at level 12 Right, We're not talking level two characters fighting the Hobgoblin boss. We're talking about these epic encounters and that's with epic powers. But again, it's, you know, there's something to be said about coming and fighting the thing in its turf, right? The home field advantage is a very real thing, you know?
0: I would say this about that fight, and it's I really came away with the conclusion that the magical the damage immunity and resistance abilities in five E have been are, are much weaker than they appear. Because by the time you hit second or third tier, You're everyone's magical. got a magic weapon. Right. And 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 not only do the magic weapons cut right through them, every spellcaster cuts right through them because they are all, you know, resistance against bludgeoning, piercing, slashing, not magic damage. You know, non-magical damage. So it my warlock, Phineas, does not fear Strahd's immunity. He's gonna blow he he he's just you know, he'd like to do the first time. My, that's my spell's gonna work. Like all the wizards, all the all the magical characters can hit him. Any character with a magic item, including the sword made of pure sunlight, can hit him. <laughs> Anyone with a silvery weapon can hit him. So like you have this idea that okay, yeah, those resistances look really tough, but unless you're like second level and you don't have many casters. They're really not like, like it's, and that's part of why I, I adjusted the way he played in the end. And you could, it could go further. If you guys fight more powerful vampires, I might take this a little further, but in mist form, because even the myth says you're, imp- you're impervious to non-magical damage. I'm like fat lot of good. That tells me, does me. Everything these guys have is magic. Yes. Everything. We're loaded. Every the barrel got magic magic. Sword. So I had to get rid of that Or the mist thing wasn't going to like, Story-wise, like thematically, I wasn't gonna have a vampire do the vampire thing and go back to his coffin when you guys get to <laughs> get to Van Helsing. Like, I want him to do the thing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, did, I wanted that that thematic element to it, where there's at least something yeah. like yeah, he's vampires should be hard to they, they're not hard to beat necessarily, but they're hard to finally kill. And the reason yeah. they're hard to finally kill in most books is because they just go back to their coffin and you can't like in Dracula they have to find his coffin. You can't or, kill a vampire without finding his coffin and I wanted that back in. For my birthday, I think we need to larp that scene
2: where Vicky staked the freaking uh the, the <laughs> one vampire made. That would that would have been uh, cinematically uh fantastic. You mean as the hallways on fire? And she's she's screaming and freaking uh uh
0: not I almost said brother Maynard no um Morton. Sir
2: Morton is trying to hold her down and yeah no making you guys use like. the
0: stake to finish vampires led to some really cool cinematic moments like yeah. I I have no remorse for 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 operating off book on that
1: part Well of that's it. uh I mean that kind of fits into when you're you're trying to craft that type of Like you were saying that thematic idea yeah. and something like like with curse of Strahd, like there's a lot to that to that epic conclusion because you want it to build to that that dracula moment you know and uh it can get hard because the
2: powers are powerful powerful (laughs) and there's a lot of vampire variants and that's another thing too you've got your fledgling you've got your tall vampires and they go up sharply some of them have really obnoxious mind powers
0: The vampire you guys killed was a um, he he was he was a he was a knight vampire. He was a warrior vampire, like the one you guys killed in the other game, Tony. Oh, sir. Sir Richard, Richard. he he was pretty uh... low level, but he was tough. I mean, well, he he was actually based on a vampire fledgling. He was a CR five or six or whatever that is. But he also had magic armor and a magic sword. Um, and we
2: were like CR four at the time. We were, we were level four characters. Yeah, I mean that level was like three a fight. or four.
0: It was it was actually it might have been level. Yeah, it was tough. It was. A, I, I remember that was going to be a tough fight, and I was surprised you guys beat him. But I was very proud you did. <laughs> yeah,
2: we're really like level like, three.
0: He's e. e. CR five. He's in there with alkalites and whites
2: and shit. Oh, it was <laughs> it was great.
1: Yeah, Mike uh, Mike Shea at Sly Force actually has done a thing about running Curse of Strahd, and he's actually created like. Six or seven different subtypes of vampires that he's got up to the point of like Blood Knights and stuff like that. Like some of these things, I'm like, oh my god, like I don't want to walk into his castle, Ravenloft. <laughs> like fuck that. Like I'll just go and hang out in Velaki, dude. Like you I'm gonna just make gonna it all. Become a, I'm gonna become a but blacksmith. The, the power of the vampire.
2: So here's a riddle for you, gentlemen. So what's the power of a vampire? What what is the real in five E? What is the thing that makes them truly formidable. Well,
0: from a depends. combat point of view, I'd say almost nothing. <laughs> Dep- well, it, depends, ah, on it depends on the vampire. It depends on the vampire. It depends on the vampire. Well, well but here's, okay. the, here's the thing. Here's what real here's what really, what I would say really does it, is their ability to make fledglings and charm people. You're but correct, Yeah. But to make either one of them work, say. you need to go off book. Like, you can't just do it based on the regular base powers. You kind of need to, like, the write-up of the vampire doesn't actually let you do those things so well. You've got to kind of you've got to basically Well, build outside out.
1: outside of um what was it Dracula Untold with um uh oh, I can't remember the the actor's name, uh regardless. Um outside of that movie, what iteration of Dracula has had him like blasting through dudes just like hordes of people? Like that's not his style. His it's style is is the shadows and right and all of that? He's
2: a very cool character in Castlevania. Castlevania. Yeah, but that's fair though.
0: I mean, he,
1: he, <laughs> and he's not the he's not Sauron, right? He's not blasting through legions of elves and men, right? He's in the shadows. He in
0: Castlevania he is hidden. In Castlevania he is. Have you actually have you seen that anime, the Castlevania? Yeah, I saw uh, season characters?
1: one. I haven't
0: I haven't caught up to
1: season two yet. Oh,
0: season two. I saw... The showdown with 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 Dracula in season two is beautiful one of the one of the one of the best climactic oh i need to do my homework huh what do you do so we've talked about all the dangers of metagaming and the problem problems that causes you what are some steps you take to keep players from metagaming or at least to kind of make it clear to them and make them accept not just make not just tell them but get them to buy in that you're gonna do it your way and they can't count on their metagame knowledge to be correct
2: well you uh as you've said before the world is yours and with that, so are the monsters and so are the NPCs. You can't tell me that this town guard has too many hit points anymore than you're going to tell me that this goblin has too many hit points, unless the continuity is goofy and it's a 45 hit point goblin with no exclamation. Then I can see someone's throwing it out, throwing a little bit of a, a raised eyebrow over that. He's really beefy. But if some. Yeah, you no, know, I. If 4E, oh my God, you run into a goblin with 96 hit points like it was nothing. It's like you had a turkey <laughs> and cheese sandwich. Um. <laughs> But if a player th- is going to start going off script, I mean, you kind of have to you know, like, gently say, like, you know, hey, your character doesn't know that. They would not know that. I could give you, there's no role that you would have because you know what? Your character hasn't read the monster manual. Mm. I mean, unless you're going to tell me your character read Volo's Guide or, or something to that effect, there's no way you have that type of intimate knowledge Surrounding these creatures.
0: So yeah, basically, you would, you would basically so one, you're introducing stuff, you're, you're changing stuff from the monster manual, and if they question mm-hmm. it, you're letting them know, hey, you don't know, basically.
2: I, I mean, yeah, actually, I remember there was like a scenario in 4e where I created a new monster. It was a blue slime, and I wanted to introduce it. It was like the mysterious thing, and you rolled a check, and you're like, no, I know everything about it, and I'm like, no, you don't, and you're like, yeah, but this is how it works, and I'm like <laughs> that. No, like this is like, hey, bro. I just took the shrink wrap off of this thing. Like, What are you talking about? Because the 4E had this fantastic generator, which was like you create monsters and level them up and make them elites or solos. But I'm getting off topic. But that was a great way to introduce custom monsters.
1: Yeah, I think it's something. I mean, for me, it's not something that I would I would ever do myself or that I would advise people to do all the time. Like I don't think every single creature has to be this unique thing. Yes, can it be? Absolutely. Not every albear is the same. But like if it's some random encounter, do I really need to roll into the one owlbear that, that, that fucking has firebolt? Right? Like and there's Maybe maybe, too. Maybe, maybe not. He's a wizard albear, so I don't know. But I think With a, a lot pole of it arm. can be um a lot of it can be in the descriptions and the narrative that you create in that in the same way that you you explain to a player that you know, oh, well, your damage isn't quite, it's for something reason, you know, when it's hitting an incorporeal being or something and just a normal weapon isn't hitting it, you have ways of describing that. And I would do that similarly with something like that or say, you run into a lot of these things, but something about this one is Mm -hmm. making you, they don't usually do that. And that kind of freaks your character out because you maybe have seen these, or you don't know these these monsters at all, You've never come across them, so you don't know what they do. Um, thankfully, I've I've had people who have uh, at least uh, said they accepted that way of I it. Mean, they never <laughs> uh, pushed back on it, so uh, you know I can't really say too much in terms of people fighting me on that. But,
0: well, they haven't, yeah, which is which yeah, is great, which, which is good, guys. right?
1: But yeah, I think a lot of it can be in the way you describe it, and don't make it every single time. Like, not every single you know, some flesh columns are going to be regenerated by lightning. Not everyone has to be. Yeah, that that's cool, but you know, some of them will be. But if if players are then starting to try to optimize that or spam it or take, I remember in the in the Woodstock game, um, some of the players were actively talking about vampire legends from like Hollywood, and I'm like, that's not even this world. Like it doesn't work that way. Like in this world, like wanting water hurts vampires. Not that we know this, but. Like, not that I've you know,
2: played that. Yeah, not that I've ever fucking seen
1: that in any movie. I don't remember them throwing a fucking glass of water on Count Orlock and he died like the
0: fucking Wicked Witch. You know, it is classic oh, vampire. Melting, you know, cla- well, one of the things, is classic vampire lore. Yeah,
2: there's a lot of vampire lore, and I showed you, Thorne, uh, yeah. about we were playing we were playing The Wrath of Dracula or the, the what is that that board game called? Uh, oh, oh, Dracula. um,
0: Dracula's Fury, Fury or Dracula? Dracula's
2: Fury. Which Afterwards, I still really I have,
0: like. I don't know. You did not enjoy it.
2: I, I No, because it reminds me of this spy game I played when I was in the third grade. <laughs> that was just He's a vampire. That's when I changed it up. But um, in this case, I, well, I showed him a video that uh, Cinemassacre, the angry video game nerd did. And uh, he uh, showed us, it, like, why do vampires suck? And he went through all the legends you know, comedically about, like, how if you throw seeds at a vampire, they have to stop and pick them up. How they can't look in mirrors, how they can't enter homes without being invited, can't cross running water, can't be submerged in water, sunlight, garlic, steaks, decapitation. Doesn't everything kill deca- is killed by decapitation? Fire. What's not
0: killed by fire? That's a short <laughs> list. It does seem like vampires. I just, I'm, reminded,
1: I'm reminded of the, the actual movie version of what we do in the shadows when they go out for the night and they're trying to go clubbing, but they can't get like none of the bouncers yeah. invite them in. So they just they just keep going
0: around the street to all the different clubs <laughs> and they can't get in. Oh, Christ. It is, it is nice that they at least still have that in the 5e vampire but you know they didn't hit everything there's plenty of vampire lore that doesn't apply and oh actually, yeah absolutely and by the book I mean I made the stake kill the vampire in my game the the stake actually just paralyzes paralyzes yeah.
1: yeah and then you can do the things to kill it and
0: what but I mean so, yeah, yeah but who needs to paralyze this to do the things to kill it when it's vulnerable to every magic spell any of your caster's <laughs> <have>? <laughs> oh yeah that's such a big deal when I could just fireball it 20 times from outside of the room yeah <laughs> Get that grip, really. Is it what size is it? Twenty by twenty? Bam, bam, bam
2: Oh, <laughs> well, I mean but I mean, you see that, but that all ran like clockwork. For everybody, for you as the DM, for us as yeah. players. So notice if that guy was more formable, like if he came out of there, if that dude rolled out with a three-sectional staff and started beating the shit out of us, I'm like, well, we're freaking dead. <laughs> he monk style. <laughs> I'm
0: dry. Fireball. <laughs> I never saw the ninja subclass of vampires. What the fuck, man? Well, he only has 144 hit points book, which I didn't. Ah, if I didn't what know. a loser. Well, I mean, yeah, but when you're talking when some of the players are hitting for like twenty five a pop, it only takes yeah, you can get yeah. through that in one round of combat. Easy.
2: Wait, wait, the Paladins out of he can't smite. I'm out of spells. I mean, who's putting damage on him that's really substantial? The barbarian and the thief. And if, if you took out one of the two of them, we would have been effed. I would have been like hitting him over the head with a giant rock.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about a thief at uh what do we know, tenth level? Uh, we just got nice to 10th that. level, but yeah, so, you know, and they're rolling with a 5d6 sneak attack, and they crit something. She dropped 63 points of damage in it one arrow, At the yeah. right? I Like, it the was... rogue crits are, are, are no
0: jokes. Yeah, no rogue it was crits are no jokes So, uh, it
1: doesn't matter what you throw, unless we're fighting fucking Vecna,
0: right? Like, outside of that, you're probably going to last two, three rounds, most, most uh, That's that is where I, I did feel a little bit like, all right, I maybe want to rethink how monster immunities works in my game because monsters that are supposed to have some level of protection from immunity literally don't get anything. Like I might as well skip the resistances and immunities field. None of it matters because everyone's got magic weapons now. Um, and I think that that isn't necessarily, you know, if you want a monster like a vampire, that's supposed to be hard to kill and highly resistant. Maybe you got to, you know, scrub some of that stuff off. Maybe, Maybe they need maybe they're immune to everything below level three spells and non-magical weapons or something. You know, something to kinda get some of that survivability back into him because he's not really hitting that hard. The permanent hit point loss is annoying, but it's not
1: well you again, know, it's that, not the under- that that fight yeah. was was great. That session was great, and there were still plenty of ways if you had wanted to that, you know, tactically speaking, you could you could have set those uh those um red caps out again you know you could have done those types of things and you know
0: you kind of get they got hypnotic patterns in the, in yeah, the first at, a round, point, so. at a point yeah.
1: though you're like okay this is this is the end of the battle you know yeah. and it just has to go down so and it
0: was 1 a.m it was yeah i mean so but as far as like you know we talked about kind of what you guys do with the metagaming players i kind of handled it the same way you know i was a dm what? who we agree I, Huh? We agree. <laughs> yeah, number it's one. not a space they can't it's
2: see the podcast.
0: Number one, it's you're happened. not bound by the monster manual. You should absolutely switch up your monsters and have them do whatever you need them to do. And if you have players who are metagaming too much, switch it up on them or use it against them. You know, I don't think there's a problem with with having the thing doesn't work the way they think it does. And that's actually, and they actually walk into a problem. Or you can also start, you know, some monsters look similar to other monsters. Maybe there's something where they think they need to hit it with fire, but you actually have it heal with fire or something. You know, you can flip things around to to, to kind of take advantage of overuse of metagaming. And I do think the DM's got a right to do that. I know there is a certain segment of players out there who consider that to be like a mortal sin. Like that is the DM cheating. You know, I really don't care and I think it's a shit attitude to bring to the game. The DM's trying to kind of make it challenging, make it fun. The DM's trying to bring out stuff that's gonna make interesting encounters. And if there's a player who's DM'd before or just read the whole monster manual, is just trying to kind of cut everything that as, as as much to the chase and fly by it as they can, that's not fun. You well, know, this it's not is fun for the DM, not fun for the rest of the party either. As we've said, this is
1: not a competitive card game. So, yeah. you know, it is different, so you have to bring different ideas to it too. But I would say with that too, you know, do it somewhat within reason. You know, don't have the owlbear throwing fireballs around. You know, I mean, make it make it make sense at least, like Tony what was What about hurling giant world,
2: rocks? Right? Is that okay?
1: Hurling giant rocks? The thing probably would do that. I mean, you it's see. fucking huge. That, that's a fair, variant <laughs> owlbout
2: right there. God, he would probably hit that.
0: you with a tree. I mean, Kung like, Fu, whatever. Kung Fu owlbear is absolutely something I have to do now. That's fine. And you you absolutely like can do this- that.
1: Chameleon just not fireballs. That's, that's where I would draw the line. He can
0: know? absolutely, yeah, no, he, he can do he can do the way of the monk fireballs, or he can do the, or <laughs> maybe he has a staff power that fires fireballs like our uh, Kang does, where he can where he can yeah. throw where he can throw the razor frost and stuff off the All staff. Right, well, at this point, he's not
1: an owlbear because he's just too intelligent. If he can do wizardy stuff, I mean. Well,
0: he, he's he's an altered owlbear. Someone has trained him. That's fine. Yeah. Someone raised this owlbear. He is not bear. actually an owlbear.
1: He's been. Polymorph to look like an owlbear, but what he actually is, is more You're than king.
0: Are you saying Kung he's Fu just panda an, an owlbear subclass? <laughs> are you saying Kung Fu Panda isn't a panda then? Poe is a panda. He is, but you know, he's
1: in that world, right? That's the world where pandas are in background. Yes. Yeah, who also makes amazing noodle soup. So, like, I mean, come on.
0: For the record, in 5e, every owlbear is one awakening spell away from becoming Poe, the Kung Fu owlbear. That is very true.
1: That is very true. Yeah. You
0: didn't know there was a monk druid out there raising an army of owlbears, did you? Well now you do.
1: <laughs> yeah, that might actually oh, shit. work. Hold
0: on, that's the next campaign. That's a Druid just literally animals.
1: creates a, a forest of uh, yeah, yeah, a forest zombies. platoon. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> Would you rather fight Kung Fu Albears or zombies? Hmm. Definitely zombies because
1: Zombies, they're slower it. and like yeah, you can knock mm. those fuckers out pretty easy. Like Albears are no joke.
2: Yeah. yeah, I don't know what style of kung fu these owl bears are using, or like, are these in the animal forms? Is it like more than like Northern Shaolin? I mean, there's a right. lot of different variants also within the variants, of the subclass of the owl bear. So they're as actually, as actually strangely guess,
1: uh, Aikido. That's what's so <laughs> weird because they're really very they're, Jab- they're
2: Japanese. They go right yes. to the grappling, the samurai yeah, arts. the way of
1: peace <laughs> and harmony. Very strange.
2: A lot of people wouldn't have guessed that, but yeah, Aikido. That, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> they can ride their their equestrian skills are also excellent.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, but they do more dressage. They don't do Western. So
2: yeah. And then calligraphy too. You got <laughs> for an Owlbear samurai, your calligraphy yeah, skills. Yeah, it's like have Professor like... Chang.
0: They're the master of the five excellences. All right. So let me drag you two out of the owlbear rabbit hole that that we've fallen yeah. down here. We've gone on about the, about metagaming for a long time. So what are your final thoughts on metagaming and what DM should do if they're having a problem with it?
2: I think the DM runs into the problem if you started moving powers around for players, monsters, that's different. That is a completely different ball game because those are yours. Um, you establish that you're going to do some things off book early in the campaign. So everybody understands expectations. You're just like, Hey, I'm going to use non book items, non book monsters, some variant monsters. I'm going to concoct. I'm going to make some stuff. And that's how I want to roll with it. And I suspect at least I have uh, experience as a whole that most people are okay with it. Now, as far as out of game knowledge, honestly, you know, sort of throws it out there. Then you just have to, you know, just be kind of uh, upfront with them and, be, and say, your your character really would not have a freaking clue about X. And that happens. Like, okay, you're talking about something really legendary. Like they came across this withered hand of a lich. Okay, it's a hand effect that I probably can't convince them to put that on any more than I can get them to put the head effect on. Um, but I had a good player got, who did that. Put the head effect on. I didn't have the hand effect. Now. Do you, you know the, the hand the, too the they had both. No, no, uh, I never got the hand. I just had the eye.
0: Some things to put in this campaign. <laughs> no thank you absolutely oh, no, i've no. got
1: enough and vecna cool yeah absolutely now
0: nah, i've really kind of done my vecna stick. are we going to level 30 then i guess <laughs> no promises
1: yeah so uh following with the just because we talked about it last the monster thing and changing that around that absolutely is within the purview of the dm um and i think it's actually one of the things that can make this game really fun um is to make it so it's a new world and you're discovering things all the time. I would say things like that. Make it special. Um, I mean, even like in The Matrix, right? The ancient Smith people, uh, you know, Neo fought them and they were upgrades in the next movie, you know? Oh, upgrades. And it was a whole cool thing, right? Uh, Because they did things that you didn't expect them to be able to do. Whatever. Um, And then they took it to a ridiculous point. But um, everyone... Unless you're coming to the game just now, and even even completely new players can, you're going to have meta knowledge. You are going to be doing that. Try to compartmentalize it the best you can, and play it within the character. Like I was using the example I came into with Beam in the in the latest Woodstock game. Uh, everyone is going to have that knowledge though, but you've heard a lot of ways tonight about how you can control that a little bit not only for yourself when you're playing but also for your players
0: when you're uh when you're running a game all, all right. right good advice and for me you know when i think when it, when i think about metagaming is uh i remember when i first started dming my very first campaign i played some with uh with, with tony's group and i played a little a little bit outside i literally went and desktop published and created a Dungeon Master's license that said, I have the power to control everything in the world. The players must listen to the Dungeon Master. And for like the first like year I DM'd, I literally hung that on the other side of the DM screen for the players to read. It was a joke, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> I remember that. It was, but that was part of the thing. It was, it was how I introduced players to the game of like, look, this is my world. And I still really firmly believe the underpinnings of that, that your characters are yours. You control them unless you do whatever you want with them uh, within the rules of the game. The world is mine. The rest of this is mine to play with. Now, if you're bringing in metagame knowledge, the big thing, the big deterrent I have is that I will switch it up on you. And 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 I I, I will shamelessly abuse your metagame knowledge if I feel like you start abusing it. At the same time, you know, players, characters do know something about their world. So it's fair to say, hey, you know, but you know about these things that are around your home. You know about the wolves that live around your village. You know about the local goblins, maybe, you know, the the, the ranger probably knows everything in their woods. But when you start getting into, like, demons, things the players never would have seen, you know, the players aren't supposed to know what they do. And I think that if I feel like the players are abusing metagame knowledge about that, I'm going to change it up. I have absolutely seen feedback where players will say that is something a DM should not do, that the DM is cheating them, they don't want to play with a DM like that, and those players probably should not play in my games. I haven't really run into it in person too much, but... I I just, you know, I know that conversations out there and I think the DM is beholden to give everyone a fun game and try to make a game that's fun for the DM and the players and do things that are interesting. You're not just a computer graph. You're not just a GPU out there running new, running, you know, your, your book of monsters at them. You're actually engaging in a creative endeavor. It's the art of DMing. And I think part of that art, Is being able to switch these things up, go off book. And that in itself should discourage metagaming. And as Sony said, if they're bringing in stuff they know from outside the game, as far as like the story goes, you're absolutely within your rights to say, look, your character would not know that. Don't abuse it, because no one wants to hear that every time they want to do something cool. You know, let the players have some fun, but don't be afraid to tell them. Yeah, you don't your character would not realize this really. You mean I've never heard of a
2: type 4 demon. Come on. Yeah. You never <laughs> heard of a type
0: 4 demon. You don't know this king really wants the special thing you can give him. You know, you, you know what your what your characters know, not what you know as a player. That is 100% something I think the DM can, you can say if the players don't listen, you know, it's really more this is something that you handle more with talking about. You don't handle it with punishment, I don't think. You know, you convince them, you adjust the way the world reacts to them. You don't do things like docking XP. You don't you don't treat it like the old school alliance violations of oh no XP's in player alliance, don't go that far. But just, you know, just lay the ground. You know, just just lay lay the ground rules out there. Your character doesn't necessarily know everything your player knows. I think that's okay for you to say to your group, and it's something I would expect my groups to to go along with. So that's it. Guys, that was a good conversation. Metagaming, man, it never goes away. You You know what's tough? I'll tell you what's tough. We got email
2: from Dave's brother going into our next Marvel game, and he gave us four items, and there's five players. Now that's tough.
0: (laughs) I assume that we we all had access to all those items. Yeah, we could throw them around. Listen, no, I just I just figured we each had, we had like five copies of each item. Like I figured we could all get that armor if we wanted. Oh, we we you have five copies of that? That's, that's oh, amazing. I, don't, I, I mean, don't, no, I didn't even like that. I didn't no, know like that.
2: That, I would not I would not draw that assumption.
0: We will find out soon, you know, how, and we will also find out how do we deal with Galactus and the Eternals, or not the Eternals. What are they called? The, the uh, elders, elders of
1: the Universe. The Elders of the Universe. I'd be fine if we were fighting the Eternals. We could actually maybe do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I. Wait, the elders. Really tough. I I to with that. And I like Story, all stories for another time. Join us yeah. next week. Maybe we'll get back into more about our Marvel game. Uh, thanks again for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. We really appreciate all the support. Please, if you're listening on a podcast service, uh, smash that five star rating button. Leave us a good review. Share the link with your friends. We really appreciate all the support you've given us. The audience is growing at a great clip, and it's awesome to see. That's why we do this. So if you want to hear more, uh, you, you want to give us more stuff to work with absolutely please do that to, to help spread the word. You can talk to us at three wise DMS at gmail.com or on our website, three wise in either place. You can send us questions. We'll do our best to answer them on the air. This particular episode was not about, an audience, a listener question, but I believe our last one was the one before that. So, if you want to get your question in here, please send it in. We are also very active on Facebook and Twitter and on Instagram. You can check us out there. Uh, we've been, yeah, you know, Dave in particular has been posting a lot of really good memes and gifts. Memes. My whole world is memes. <laughs> it's a meme world. We're all just living in it. Mm. So check us out there. Follow us, and we think uh, we think you'll enjoy the content. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on Free Wise DMs.